Thank you for joining us for this edition of Broadband Action from the Community Broadband Action Network or CBAN. In today's edition of Broadband Action, we're focusing on one of the first municipal communication utilities in the Northeastern United States. And our guest today is Jackie Pratt. Jackie is the Director of Advocacy and Customer Experience at Shrewsbury Electric and Cable Operations. And we're going to refer to that and under their shorter name for the rest of this edition, and it is Selco. So, Jackie, thank you so much for coming on and joining us for this edition of our uh, discussion on Member Spotlight. Thanks for having me, Curtis. Absolutely. So, Shrewsbury is located in pretty much right smack dab in the middle of Massachusetts, right? Yep. We, um, we are about 35, 40, 40 miles west of Boston, right in the middle of Massachusetts. We share a border with Worcester, which is the second most populous city in New England. Um, and we are about 38,000 people. And uh, we're right in the heart of central Massachusetts. You are not a suburb of Worcester, though. So don't let anybody get that idea, right? Yeah, we'll go with I that. I was just wondering if anybody ever referred to you as a suburb because you're smaller and you're adjacent. You know, I'm not really sure that uh, we think of uh, the towns around Worcester as Worcester suburbs, but I guess they would be, right? Well, but that whole eastern half of Massachusetts is so densely populated that, it, you know, it's here in, like, for example, in Iowa, you know, if you have any town of bigger than 100,000, then every town around it is considered a suburb. So a yep. little different. You guys have been at this a lot longer, settled back in the 1500s, 1600s, whenever. But um, 1717, we, uh, or sorry, 1727, we were incorporated as a town. But I think the first That's settlers great. were here about 10 years before that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so give us kind of a 30,000 foot overview of Salco and what you do there in Shrewsbury. Sure. So we're a municipally owned utility. We operate under chapter 164 of the, Ma of the mass laws. Uh, so we are uh, part of the town, but somewhat separate and distinct from the municipal government. Um, we are an electric utility and we've been an electric utility since 1908, originally established because we couldn't find a neighboring utility to serve our community. So back in the uh, 1907-08 period, we, uh, our town meeting was uh, insightful enough to make the decision to establish uh, an electric lighting plant and uh, two consecutive votes of town meeting later and we were established as a municipal utility in mass. Um, in the 1960s, late 1960s, early 1970s, the general manager at the time started investigating the concept of cable TV, right? Community area TV antennas. And that idea was sort of backburnered uh, while the technology continued to develop until mm -hmm. we reached sort of that nascent stage of cable operators uh, getting off the ground in our area. And we established our cable operations in 1983. Um, I believe, again, after consecutive votes of town meeting to do so. And the cable operations operate under the municipal utility. Again, it's that chapter 164 laws that govern that. Um, we are in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, which is, as I said, a population of about 38,000 people. Um, we have about 16,800 electric meters, um, 6,500 cable subscribers, 14,000 internet, and... Um, about 3,300 telephone lines between business and residential. Great. 
Now, when you you guys started back in uh, the early '80s, it was cable TV only at that time, of course. Um, of course, yeah. Yeah. So, um, how, how you know over the years, obviously, you've changed operations as customer needs have, have developed, and and at some point, you decided to do high speed internet, and then later, or you know, w when did that product mix kind of develop? Was it cable, then <clears throat> internet, then phone, or the other way around? So, cable TV in 1983 was launched. I think it was around September of 83 is when we first had our, our first cable TV subscribers. Um, in the late 90s, we first got into internet service. I think we were one of the first municipal providers, publicly owned uh, providers in New England. Um, right around that same time, we also launched HD service. And I think we were the first HD service in all of New England. Um, so pretty cool there. Um, phone, we dabbled in some long distance plans in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, but our phone product VoIP as it exists today was like around 2006. Great. Yeah. So who are your competitors there in the telecommunications business in Shrewsbury? So we're the incumbent provider. We don't have any other overbuilders uh, from okay. traditional wireline cable TV operators. Uh, we do have Dish and obviously streaming competitors. Mm -hmm. um, and around us, we have Comcast and Charter and Verizon but not in our community. You got into telecommunications before anybody else realized it needed to be done. So nobody else came. Well, we have such high penetration rates and because we're municipally owned, you know, as a public power utility, as a public broadband utility, cable TV utility, our goal is to provide the best service for our customers at a fair price. And, you know, despite all of the uh, industry uh, trajectory that we we're seeing on cable TV pricing, you know, with all of these different programming costs going up, um, we still follow that ethic, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really challenging for an operator to come in and, um, you know, compete against the number of subscribers we already have, as well as the goodwill we have with the community, uh, super fast response times, great customer service and fair pricing. So it's that uh, trifecta, right? Yeah. And those are the reasons why municipal broadband systems are successful because you just do it better. Right. And we reinvest, you know, our profits go back to the community to help keep tax rates low. And, you know, we're reinvesting in economic development projects. Uh, we're overbuilding ourselves right now with fiber. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause that is a huge undertaking and it's an undertaking that a lot of those, what I would call first generation municipal cable plants are doing right now or have already done just in the past few years. So um, talk about the timeline for making that decision that it was time to start rebuilding your network. So we, we did a, a number of different analyses uh, through the uh, teens, right? Uh, probably starting around 2012, 2013, we started looking at that as a possibility. Finally pulled the trigger on the decision in 2019. And then the super fun COVID <laughs> hit us and really kind of changed the game in terms of how important internet service is. I mean, we all saw that throughout the industry as everybody moved to work from home. And we're seeing this sort of um, long tail of people staying at home. And that's going to be something that we see going forward where this uh, hybrid work environment or full work remote is going to stick with us beyond yeah. just the parameters of this pandemic. So, while we had a little bit of a bumpy start in 2020, we realized that we couldn't hold up this project. So we really got out the gate in 2020 and started putting the um, the phase one project into play. We've got three phases to cover the whole town of Shrewsbury. And um, 
totally it's going to be like a three to five year project to get everybody cut over. Sure. But we're wrapping up the phase one construction and we're bringing customers on from that zone right now. Um, and then phase two, the, the infrastructure is going in and we'll hopefully about a year from now be starting to bring on some of those customers in a big right. way. So. Yeah, you can't just snap your fingers and redo all that at once, especially in a community with as many uh, premises past as you have. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely challenging, too, with supply chain issues, and we're seeing inflation, so the economics of the projects have changed a little bit. But, um, you know, I think we recognize that the real value of fiber to our customers, you know, it's like future-proof technology, mm -hmm. higher reliability. Our old HFC plant sort of reaching end of life at this point. And we foresee continued bandwidth consumption growth. So it's really imperative that we get this out there and stay stay with the game plan to bring this to all of our customers as quickly as possible. Now, one of the other challenges besides just the, the, the uh, you know, logistical challenge of rebuilding your network is you're really operating two different networks for some period of time. And uh, I, talk a little bit about how you're handling that as far as some customers are at least for the next couple of years, going to still be on that cable, old cable plant and other yeah. customers are on fiber and there's different costs associated with each other. It must be a, a bit of an administrative uh, challenge. So we've got a lot of balls in the air right now, Curtis. Uh, in addition to overbuilding ourselves with fiber, we're also ripping and replacing our old legacy television system. Uh, and we're going to the Minerva product, which is an o OTT app-based IP streaming service, right? Mm -hmm. With our legacy linear lineup attached to that, right? Um, in addition to that, we're also in the midst or at the beginning of rolling out AMI. So we have to rip and replace every electric meter that we have in the field with an AMI meter. It's probably two, three years. Um, um, oh, and then we're also cutting over from our existing billing systems, which uh, today we use GLDS on the cable side. And we use Harris on the electric side too, NISC. We're bringing them all under one umbrella. So all of these moving parts are happening. And NISC is supporting some of the newer technologies, but not the old technologies. So in addition to living in two worlds with what's happening at Custer Premises, we're also having this kind of crazy overlap on our back end too in trying to manage all of these pieces. Was this just a case of ripping the Band-Aid off and getting it all done? Or <laughs> you guys are glutton for punishment? Yeah, glutton for punishment, right? Rip that Band-Aid off. No, I think we're at this uh, pivot point in the industry where a lot of things are happening all at once. And all of these different decision points are supporting the overall long-term strategic goals of the organization. And it just so happens that they're dominoes. Once one falls, the next has to go. So mm -hmm. It's that really, it, it is a lot of balls in the air. We're juggling all of these things and we can't drop any of them because they're all imperative to be able to get these things done and, and serve our customers the best way possible. Well, when you're tr trying to always be better at what you do, there's always going to be changes you have to go through. So that's, I mean, that's just a indication that you're doing the right thing. Uh, yeah, know. I mean, we're, we're a dynamic organization. We have extremely dedicated staff members here. Uh, we've got great consultants to work with as we're looking and considering um you know, different options down the line. And we're keeping tabs on industry changes. Like I said, there's a lot of upward pressure on programming costs with TV, mm -hmm. which is really impacting subscriber counts. So even as we're making these investments to provide this next generation of service, um, industry trends and pressures are cutting the number of subscribers and everybody's seeing that. So yeah. it's a balancing act for sure. It sure is. Uh, evolving consumer needs and, and wants. Uh, but the nice thing is you'll through this rebuild, you'll have the technology to handle about anything. 
Right. And, and you know, it's, it's exciting time because in, in Massachusetts, really, for the longest time, there were only three cable operators that were MLPs, municipal light plants. Yeah. It was us, Norwood and Braintree. Braintree got out of the TV business and sold their Internet business recently. Um, Norwood's still in the business along with us. Um, but we're seeing a lot of these small municipal utilities and even larger ones starting to get into the broadband business. It's this new this this new renaissance is happening where all of these community broadband operators are coming online because there's there's this real opportunity and there's this real need in these different communities, even in our state, which is heavily built out. I know a lot of times when we talk about community broadband, the, the issue it has to do with being underserved by the big boys. But it, but in these instances, the value of being community owned and, and, and focusing on the reliability, customer satisfaction, fair prices, like that public power model fits so well with the community broadband model that we're starting to have our peers come online uh, with with some of these new builds in Massachusetts. And it's a really interesting time to be in this space because whereas we used to stand on our own, now we've got these other uh, collaborators that we have opportunities yeah. to work with and find efficiencies with and, and share information and, and opportunities. And it's, it's really um, exciting stuff happening. Well, you can be the big, the big sibling to, to help them through all that, right? Yeah. And, and in some instances we are, we've partnered with um, Sterling municipal light department, which uh, is a neighboring community um, to bring broadband service to them. They've, they've launched their lamb local area municipal broadband uh, internet service. They call it lamb. It's kind of, of a funny name, but Mary had a little lamb. Yeah. Uh, you are all familiar with the children's rhyme, I guess, originated in Sterling, Massachusetts. So that's why oh. they went with that uh, that branding. Um, we're working with West Boylston, another neighboring MLP, to bring internet service to their municipal buildings initially with a potential wider uh, retail offering for commercial and residential customers. So we are able to uh, collaborate in those ways. We bring bandwidth to Norwood. We have some uh, redundancy with them for some of our uh, cable TV channels uh, where we've been able to support each other in the past. So it's a really it's a really uh, different world than what you would see in how um, for profit cable mm. operators approach these things like we're that much more community roll up your sleeves. How can we help each other kind of vibe? I, uh, I, I I've always been fascinated by how different areas of the country have developed differently over the years. And in some areas you've had a lot of municipal broadband action over the years and in other areas, not much, but in a lot of areas that didn't have much in the past, it's starting to really grow. I mean, you mentioned some of the developments there in Massachusetts, Colorado is a hotbed right now. You've got um, some barriers have been lifted in other states like in Washington, um, where now they're starting to see more and more municipal uh, telecommunications activity. So um, I think that it's the kind of the perfect storm, like you mentioned with uh, with uh, COVID coming up, that obviously showed the demand was there. But it's also a perfect storm of providers continuing to not respond well, the big providers, to their consumer needs and, and, and creating that demand for something better. Yeah, I mean, I'll say six or eight months ago, we, we had a meeting with Worcester, the, the neighboring city that I mentioned, mm -hmm. second largest city in New England, because um, they are considering community broadband. They're they're looking at establishing municipal broadband and what the options are. And it was a great conversation. It was really precipitated by the way that the, the providers that serve that community today, uh, both Verizon and uh, Charter, um, missed the mark when the pandemic was unfolding and students were at home and reliability was poor and response rates were poor. And it was just a really hard um, experience for the city of Worcester. They have a lot of underserved uh, customers in terms of 
um, you know, economically disadvantaged areas. And they're really looking at the possibility of doing a municipal broadband project. You know, Ed Markey was there. Senator Markey was Mm -hmm. there. He plays a very big role in how this is perceived at the federal level. So we had really good conversations with Senator Markey and and the Worcester City uh, manager and some other key players there. And, you know, whether or not we're able to directly play a role in that, I think even just hearing that that's a possibility, they're starting to get some better responses from for-profits that are serving them. Um, but honestly, when you look at it, what, what the goals of an organization are, when, you're, when your goal as an organization is to maximize shareholder returns, um, you know, that's kind of at odds when you're trying to best serve customers because those two things don't always overlap really well. And that's where community-owned municipal broadband can fill that gap and really serve customers with best interest at heart, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Well, as uh, we get ready to wrap up here, Jackie, I just wanted to give you the opportunity. What advice would you have for other communities across the nation like Worcester, uh, like others in other parts of the U.S. that are considering, you know, using municipal broadband as a way to improve the struggles that they're facing? Sure. I mean, I I think the the very first thing that everybody asks me when we start talking to some of our fellow, uh, you know, municipal utilities here is, should we do TV? And the answer is straight up, don't do that. <laughs> like, that's terrible. Just stick with the broadband. That's my first that ship has sailed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's such a complicated uh, situation with all of these different contracts and the big conglomerates and, and everything. Um, but, you know, really, stakeholder engagement is going to be key. You want to make sure that you have buy-in from your community, that they understand that the benefits stretch beyond what am I paying monthly, Right. It's not just a bottom line issue for for what their their monthly internet bill is going to be, which which hopefully would be better with a municipal broadband operator. But they have to think about the bigger investments that are being made in their community and the bigger value that is brought into their towns um, and, and hits their pocketbook in different ways by having a municipal operator. There are partnerships with the school systems that don't happen in the same way. You know, there are partnerships with the municipal op- municipal operations that don't happen in the same way when you have an investor-owned cable operator, broadband operator that you get when you move to a municipal model, right? You have opportunities to uh, do, you know, pi- pilot payments, payment, payments in lieu of taxes to help support lower tax rates uh, to your consumers. Um, so it's it's a really big picture thing. And that stakeholder engagement in the early stages, that buy-in, that enthusiasm for it is going to be key in getting these uh, municipal broadband plants established. Well, you have to have, it has to be mission focused. Um, yep. And that mission needs to come from the community. So if you have a, pro- uh, a project like uh, municipal broadband where the focus is the mission, then um, and people are bought into that mission, it's going to make it much more likely to be successful. For sure. Absolutely. Well, hey, this is the uh, Selco website. If you want to learn more about uh, uh, Selco, uh, there's their uh, URL, and um, they are doing great things and a real leader in the uh, Northeast um, and a mentor probably for some of those other communities that uh, around you like Worcester that are looking to get into it. So, Jackie, I want to really thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Curtis. You bet. Our guest has been Jackie Pratt, Director of Advocacy and Customer Experience for Shrewsbury Electric and Cable Operations in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Thank you for listening to the Broadband Action Podcast. 
We encourage you to like or subscribe for future content here on the podcast. Spread the word. And thanks for joining us.